It's good to be together. Um, my name's Stan. I'm part of this brilliant church community. Um, and I, I get the privilege to speak to us this morning. We are partway through a series, um, Faithfulness to Fruitfulness. This is part four. So let's just dive straight in. Just to let you know as well that Phil and Sarah, who lead this church, are currently at Jesus Culture in Sacramento. Banning has asked them to go and preach there this, today which is amazing. So do be praying for them. I know they send their love. I spoke to them last night or yesterday afternoon. What an opportunity, friends. Do you know what? This is building our connection with this precious community called Jesus Culture that we're part of. And Phil and Sarah, they're representing us, England, preaching in the States. Amazing, amazing. And any other nation represented here, by the way. Um, so do be praying for them as well. Each week we've, we've said um, that we don't want, this isn't about a fundraising drive for the church. As Sarah said, like, we're okay. Like, this isn't to manipulate, this isn't to try and coerce or put pressure on people for giving. Um, it's really about maturity, what maturity looks like. Let me go a little bit further than that. What it looks like to be followers of Jesus. That's what we are, we're followers of the way. That's Jesus. We're not following a church program or strut. We're following him. And as we follow him, he gathers his people called the church together. So seriously, hand on heart, this isn't to make you go, oh man, I feel pressured to do this. But Jesus talked a lot about money. And in Luke 16, this is what we're going after. What is true spiritual riches? That's what we're developing in our lives. True spiritual riches. As Phil said last week, we've, we've seen people spontaneously just get saved here without anyone kind of preaching the gospel to them. We told them the gospel in the end, but genuinely people going, well, kind of what must I do then? We've seen people healed during worship and that's what we consider true spiritual riches, okay? So every, everything we talk about, I, I appreciate talking about money can make our toes in our shoes curl because it's been horribly abused. I appreciate that. But Jesus did talk a lot about money. So it's okay for us to do the same. Past few weeks, uh, Phil and Sarah have looked at what the tithe is. Old covenant, but how do we relate that into a new covenant people in terms of people being born of the Spirit? How do we, how do we, how do we go there? So today we're, we're going beyond the tithe. We're looking at a generous life because that's what the New Testament says. It says, how do we live generously? Because every area of our lives, be that kindness, goodness, faithfulness, money, we're called to be a generous people. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. It'll come up on the big Bible in the sky behind me as well. Okay, let's read together. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Verse 6, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's totally cool, isn't it? As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to those that are poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us 
will produce thanksgiving to God. God, I just pray you transform us by your word this morning. We're talking about being a prophetic people. His word is so prophetic. That means he speaks to us primarily through his words. This is timeless, without error, and it's our authority today. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to just pull principles from this text, and we're just going to walk through it this morning. Give you some context. Paul, this incredible writer, this incredible church leader, if you like, once hated Jesus, hated Christians, now given his life spreading the message of Christianity. He's writing to this raggedy old bunch in Corinth. They are. They, they had all sorts of issues going on. Chapter 9, they've decided in their hearts to give an offering to the church back at Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, guys, be generous. I'm paraphrasing. Before verse 6, he says, please, I've told them you're good for it. <laughs> it's a bit awkward. He, he, he basically says, if you don't, we're going to look silly. He does. Go back and read it. But he's saying, I want you to be generous, but I want, I want to lay out what generosity looks like. So that's what we're going to learn today. He gives principles of how our attitude and our motives towards our money. So that's what we're going to look at. Firstly, verse 6, he says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So we see this principle, this incredible principle at play, sowing and reaping. Do you know, a principle, I just looked at the basic dictionary definition, a rule or belief that governs one's behaviour. That's a principle or a basic idea or rule that explains or controls how something happens or works. You know, God has built things into the fabric of humanity, like laws, spiritual laws, or just laws, like the law of gravity, what goes up must come down. We know that. I did this before. It's not, a, it's not rocket science today, but this is, this is kind of how it works. None, none of us, I know that shocked some of you. He's thrown a plastic bottle in the air. None of us have sat here and gone, well, we, know, we didn't know that happened. We all know that because we know that's how it works. It's the same with the spiritual law or the law of sowing and reaping. Not just a spiritual law, it's a law that we see in nature. What we sow, we will reap. Sorry, I'm going to have my water back. Yes, please, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Could you open it for me, actually? Or hold it while I... Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bless you. Cheers. God has built these things. Galatians 6, 7 says, A man reaps what he sows. It's true. We reap what we sow. Let me develop this principle a little bit more. Luke 6. Jesus is talking. Let me be clear here. He's not overtly talking about money or finance. He's using the principle. He's talking about our lives, like the motives, the condition, our characters, how we, how we point that towards people will come back our way. He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your lap. Here's the sowing and reaping principle. For with the same measure you use it, this same measure will come back to you. The world likes to call it karma. It does. We've, humanity, whether people know Jesus or not, have been made in God's image and likeness. And the reason why we use this word karma is because people know there's a principle at play here. 
What goes around comes around. Now, I want to be careful, friends. I, we're not, I'm not preaching about karma. I'm talking about sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. Every day, we get the opportunity to sow somewhere. You do. You get to give the God who is everywhere opportunity to show up somewhere. And you can reap everywhere. You can sow everywhere you go. Someone else might reap, actually. But you can sow. Be that forgiveness. Man, I know this challenges me. Be that mercy. Be that love. Be that goodness, faithfulness. People that sow faithfulness. Like Dan led us, what it looks like to be a faithful people because he's faithful. But we can also sow compassion, kindness, our time. Do you know, there's no richer commodity than time. But we can as well sow our finances. It's part of the same principle. What we sow will multiply and we can reap. Bless you. That's a beautiful sneeze. It's quite lovely, actually. I'm sorry, Abby, I'm sorry. The question is, with our money, let's ask us a question. Where are we sowing and what are we sowing? Is your life, is my life, man, I'm not preaching, I'm, this is us as a family having a conversation in a big lounge. Like, where am I sowing? What does generosity actually look like in my life, in your life? Then we see in verse 7, it's an issue of the heart. We decide these things in the heart. Verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generosity, friends, as you know, is an issue of the heart. Absolutely is. I, I doubt there's anyone here that says, no, I've nailed this. Just too easy. I find it too easy to be generous. Well, if you do, lay hands on everyone afterwards. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Bang. Man, if that doesn't challenge you, I don't know what will. Where your treasure is, San, that's where your heart is. Ouch. Jesus came to utterly transform our lives. He didn't come just to save us and forgive us. Bear with me. He absolutely did that. But he came to transform us, that we'd look like him. It's not enough that I've just been forgiven. It limits what he did on the cross. He went to the cross. It's shame, it's pain, it's torture, it's punishment to give me brand new life. Brand new life. So everything changes. The fabric of our heart is brand new. I've been given a brand new heart. New motives, new drives, new desires. Our hearts are now alive because he's life is in us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Not, I've just become buddies with Jesus. I've been crucified with him and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If you've been around this community any time, you'll hear us, hear, wherever you find us, use phrases like from Colossians as well. It says, Christ in us is the hope of glory. We believe that with all our heart. That Christ in us is the hope for Manchester. Christ in us is the hope for my family. I'm the only Christian in my family. Christ in me is the hope for my family. Christ in me, the same spirit that raised Jesus from death, now lives and abides in me. 
That's outrageous. So this means we have his heart. And if we have his heart, generosity is given from a completely different position. It can. We can be empowered from a completely different position when we grasp it. When we truly know, man, my life's not mine to live anymore. But his life through me is how I'm meant to live. Generosity becomes different, doesn't it? The Bible also says, freely I've received, so I get to freely give away. I've received everything. Man, if you knew my life before I was a Christian, you'd think I was a monster. I've received everything. And I get to freely point a new life everywhere I go. We're going to be looking at the heart on part five. I'll be looking at that in a few weeks' time. So I'll leave it for that for now. But generosity is best done in partnership with Holy Spirit. We have his life abiding in us, Holy Spirit abiding in us. And as we walk in step with him, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. Allow him to speak. And the the next thing is just obey what he says. That's the deal. Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. And that's our goal on the earth now. I I just do what I see my Father doing. I just get involved with what I see my father doing. Like Judith brilliantly said, like, he gives us pictures, he gives us dreams, he gives us impressions. So generosity is best done when we partner with him because he'll say some outrageous things to us. We're living under a completely different framework now, something called grace. If you were here last week, Sarah did just a stellar job on this. She's so good, isn't she? what grace looks like. Well, I want to go into it a little bit more to remind us that we've been freed as a New Testament spirit-empowered people. We've been freed from observing the law, careful with this, that's just do X, Y, and Z to be accepted by God. We have to do a whole host of religious duties now to be accepted. We're not under that law anymore because Jesus has fulfilled the law. We're under something now called grace. So grace liberates, it frees, it empowers, absolutely. But it also, it asks for more from us. It really does. It really does. Remember Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't kill anyone. I've heard it said, if you, if you hate in your heart, you've killed that person. You've, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But now I say, if you look in lust, you might as well have slept with that person. Man, that's a higher bar, right? That's not just tick the law and we're done. That's, oh no, the law is now written on my heart. I now carry the law of God everywhere I go. So I don't need my brother Abby to say, San, remember, are you good for not sinning today? Have you ticked these 375 laws? No, bro, I haven't. That's not how we work anymore. His law is written. I don't cheat on my wife because I love her. Not because I need someone to remind me not to do it. You get that, right? This thing called grace. So there's a new ruling factor in our hearts, grace. And this means that each of us now are freed and empowered to determine in our hearts, in partnership with Holy Spirit, what this looks like. Let me just tell you what it doesn't look like. Reluctant or under compulsion. Man, if we ever manipulate anyone or guilt anyone, that's just so awful. It's got to come from a free, joy-filled, empowered heart. Reluctance means to be unwilling or to be hesitant, and that happens when trust is gone. 
And I appreciate, man, we lose trust in things and people in church. I get that. But that's when we keep our eyes fixed on the king. Or under compulsion, to be obliged, to be forced, to be pressured. If me and James stood here and manipulated you guys to give, oh, it's awful. So we're not going to do any of that. Grace, you're free, friends. Do you know what? As the offering containers go around, if you never put another dime in there, or penny, God loves you 100%, and I love you 100%. That's grace. That's what grace looks like. God sees the inner workings of our hearts, and when we do things in line with him and his kingdom, he loves it. Verse 7 in the Passion Translation says, let giving flow from the heart, not out of a sense of religious duty, let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves a hilarious giver or hilarious generosity. <laughs> he does. So next thing we see is he's able, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Friends, God is able. He's able. Paul is reminding them that whatever they give, however they give, in whatever season of life, what he wants to remind them, what I want to remind you, friends, is God is more than able to provide for you. And he actually wants to provide for you. I'm a daddy, and man, I want to provide for my kids. The Bible calls me a weak father. How much more a perfect father in heaven? He wants to provide. Paul is reminding them of the nature of God and how he works in our lives. Again, this thing called grace. He says here in verse 8, and may all grace abound to you. What does abound mean? It just means a lot. <laughs> large vat loads. It leads, means large amounts. So how much grace does God want you to have today? An awful lot. When you wake up, you dust your tired little eyes in the morning. Charlie, you've got a, so much grace for you tomorrow, bro. Like I could point at any of you. There's so much grace, Elaine, tomorrow morning, as soon as you open your eyes. It's like rivers of mercy, rivers of grace. So generosity needs to be tapped into that man. I've got the God of the universe just pouring love and mercy and kindness and joy all over me. Man, it's a joy to give. You know, knowing that I have the unlimited favour of God, that means grace. It changes everything. It underpins everything. It begins to define my trust. I know where my trust can be built from, my hope, my security can be built from. I begin to believe, man, I've got the God that made the whale the blue whale on my side. I've got the God who threw the stars out into the cosmos. I've got all of his all-sufficient grace pouring into my life, on my life, and through my life. That's bonkers. Like, think about that for a moment. The God who made everything wants to give you himself, wants to pour his mercy and it's so you can abound in every good work. I believe that means so you look like him everywhere you go. You know, God knows everything we need, friends, and Scripture encourages us not to be anxious and worried or concerned about anything. Who finds that a challenge? 
I hope that's most of us. I do. This was the hardest message I've prepared for a long time because I find this a massive challenge for me. So that's why I said, like, you're not going to get people standing here going, oh, just so all of you know, I've arrived on this issue and I'm speaking to you to encourage you to arrive. You're never going to get that from this church. You're going to get vulnerability at points and we're going to open our lives to say, hey, we're equals here. We're brothers and sisters. So I want you to know, I find this tough, friends. Where my security lies, where does it lie? Is it in my bank or is it the, in the king's hands who holds the keys to all the banks? Where does our security lie? Because we can have some huge insecurities, can't we? Wrong attitudes to money. Just want to briefly look at a couple. So one attitude to money is it's simply there for our wants. That means that the danger is that can drift into greed. And that can be my heart, friends, a lot of the time. I want because I want to get myself new stuff. I want to get more stuff for me. Me, 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 me. Rather than looking at my life like a conduit to say, God, how do you move through me? But it can tap into my wants. And God wants us to want things, okay? But when it drifts into greed, I think that's the issue. Paul, in this text, isn't presenting a God who answers all of our wants. When he says he's, he's all-sufficient grace, can give you all you need in all seasons, it doesn't mean, hey, Andy, there's Lamborghinis coming your way, bro. Like, so into this ministry, and I'll, I'll, I'll just, your house will be debt-free. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about God providing what God knows we need. We'd end up like spoiled kids, wouldn't we? Imagine your own life. Like, I'll just use my little existence here. If God answered every one of my twisted heart's wants at times, I'd be like one of those spoiled kids from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I would. Veruca Salt, I'd be like. But a male version. Andrew Paprika. That would be my name. <laughs> Smoked paprika. But that would be the reality. My life would be horrendous. It'd be awful. Because if you could see the inner workings of my heart at times, you'd think I was, wow, that's selfish, Shan. Oh. So he sees everything right now in all of your hearts. And he knows all of it. And if he responded a yes to everything you've ever thought, life would be ugly. But another attitude towards our money could be, is it simply there just to satisfy our needs? Yes, it is absolutely there for that. But is that just our mentality with money? Because the Bible presents something different that I'm going to come to in a minute. God is provider. That's his nature. In the old covenant, he was known as Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides he provided manna from heaven for them to eat. He, he wants to provide for us. Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives us this brilliant principle here to live by. He says, don't worry about, I'm paraphrasing, don't worry about your food, your clothing, your shelter. Don't you think your father knows? Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Do they cry out with their anxiety because they want? No, doesn't God provide for them? We have to say yes. So he says, how much more then will he provide for his sons and daughters? That's what I believe this text is saying there. 
How much more will he provide for us? You know, Jesus encourages us to put our full trust, hope and security in him. So our our wants, our greed, our need, I believe the Bible presents our finances like seed. Wants us to look at it like seed in our hand. Verse 6 is all seed language, sowing and reaping, seed language. So let me ask some questions to us as family. How do we look at our money? Do we look at it just to satisfy our wants? I know bills need to be paid. I'm talking about when it comes to being generous. Is it there for you? Is it there just for your needs? Or have you ever looked at it like seed in your hand? I heard this incredible illustration by a man called Bill Johnson at a conference a few years ago. I sat right up in the bleachers, you know, one of those, you can sit on someone's lap right at the back. Okay, sorry. Um, Bill, it was on this big screen because obviously thousands of people there. And he ended his session by talking about stewardship. And he took a £20 note out of his pocket and it looked massive on the screen, like a duvet, big £20 duvet. And he said... This £20 note has been in all sorts of hands, probably all sorts of places for good and evil, but now it's in my hands and I choose where it goes. And in that moment, I was like, I don't need, like you can hear message after message on stewardship and in that moment, I got it. I was like, that's what stewardship looks like, being deliberate, being intentional, being purposeful to say, hey, my finances, what's in my bank, it's his anyway. It's all his. So whether I carve off the 10% and call it the tithe, great. Or whether I just go, man, I just, God, where do you you want me to point this money? It's all his anyway. So I want that same heart, if you like. You know, we look at multiplication now. Verse 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and he'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. This whole deal is that we see an increase of the harvest of righteousness. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, that righteousness, right standing with God, that things look right with God, that God reconciles the world to himself. That's what we're going after. I want to see my family reconciled to God. That's what I'm going after. So it's not to have multiplication that if I give 20, then I get 60. Man, if God does that, awesome. But it's somehow out of our obedience that other things happen. You know, gardens grow. You just leave your garden, it will grow. What we plant will grow. I said this in the first service as well. Me and Em, she won't mind me saying this, I'm going to say it. Um, We kill everything. (laughs) Apart from human beings, I've never, never killed a human. I feel guilty for killing flies. Sometimes I kill a fly now, I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. I genuinely do. But we, anything green will die. So we've got plastic plants that my mum gave us um, that have accidentally been watered, but they, and they're thriving at the moment. <laughs> but if you look at a beautiful garden, it's taken intention. It's taken intentionality. Someone, a farmer, a gardener, has purposefully put seeds in specific places with the right conditions. And actually what has happened, it's not one seed equals one seed. It's like, oh my word, look at this garden. That's the same when it comes to generosity. What we plant will grow. There will be multiplication. And do you know what? I want my life to look like what Bill was presenting. Don't you? 
I want that attitude. And that's what I'm praying for us right now. God, wake us up every day. Every day we get to live in that lifestyle. God, all of my resources, my time, my energy, my character, my compassion, love, my money, my money, I get to choose where that goes. I'm not advocating don't pay your gas bill. Please do that. Please do that. Because I take it, some people take things so literally, right? Well, it's all mine then. So I won't pay that. <laughs> I won't. No, I'm saying what you have left to yourself. That's what we're talking about. Let me just look at this quickly. The mustard seed, right? If we're faithful with the little, God is able to give us more and he will give us more. And it's his true spiritual riches. He desires to give us more. But the little, the mustard seed is presented in the Bible as the smallest of seeds in the garden. Listen to this. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is the largest seed in all of the garden plants, the largest plant, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and rest and like nests in its branches. I love this parable from Jesus. The smallest of seeds grows to become something that causes other things to flourish. That's what our lives are meant to be. So hear me straight. When I'm talking about generosity and multiplication, it's not so we, it's, it personalizes it for us and it benefits us. We do get benefited, but it benefits us, like society. I want my life to be so full of fruit that people want to come near me, that people want to hang around with me, that people, people want to ask me, Get Sam, where does your hope lie? Like, why are you joyful? Why are you peaceful? I want that's fruit, right? We want people to come and rest under our branches or on our branches. I don't want to just carry little limp bits of grapes. Have a nibble if you like. Now I want my life to be like huge watermelons. That's my that's my favourite fruit. Have you ever had a watermelon when it's boiling hot and it's crisp and juicy? That's what we want. When people engage with us, they they're tasting Jesus on us. Yeah, that's what we want. Like, our lives are meant to affect others. That is how it's meant to happen. My life is meant to affect others, the fruit of my life. Jesus, our lives as Jesus followers, our lives of, as Christians, those that follow the way are meant to look like his life wherever we go. That we sound like him, we look like him, we respond like him. And John 15 says, Jesus is a vine with the branches and if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. Not your, sometimes on a Sunday. No. It's when you're squeezed, you'll bear much fruit. When life is hard, you'll bear much fruit. When people criticise you, you'll bear the life of Jesus. When you're skint, you'll respond in generosity. Look at the widow's might. Isn't that a beautiful story? Jesus says, everyone else gave out of their abundance she gave out of her poverty. That's what generosity looks like. So we're never going to present, generosity looks like anything over 500 pounds. It looks like your heart being generous. And if we remain in him, we will bear the same fruit. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's an incredible cycle here. The whole point of everything I want to say today is it all goes his way. Everything gets pointed back to him through this gratitude of thanksgiving. 
oh God, you're amazing. And I had nothing. I, I don't have any formal education. I didn't do my exams. I dropped out of school at 15. I've had full time, I've had all sorts of crazy jobs. Now I teach the Bible. Like I didn't read a book before I was a Christian. All that glory goes to him. It doesn't come my way because I couldn't do it. And that's the same with our finances, okay? This is what we need to grasp, that as we respond in generosity, what we sow with a willing, cheerful, generous heart, God will multiply and it will grow and then it will be reaped and it will more be sown back and that will grow and it will be reaped and more be sown back and all the glory goes his way. I've heard some incredible stories from people that paid for all sorts of things. I don't want there was a personal one that I'll leave it at that. That you know stories in your own life, okay? You know stories where someone has just suddenly gone, here's here's a hundred pounds. I just feel like I need to give you. And it's not so they would never in their right mind go, yes, tell me how wonderful I am, please, for doing that. It's like now God told me to do it. So all the glory goes his way. You know, the more we have, the more we can be radical, generous givers with. I'll finish with two thoughts. Firstly, a personal thing. I admit to you today that I find this a challenge. But one person that inspires me more than anyone else I know really is my wife. In most areas of life, breathing and everything. (laughs) I find it difficult to be generous that doesn't benefit me. You come around and have a nice meal and I'll open a bottle of wine. I get benefited from that. But for me to just freely give without any benefit, I, I do find that a challenge. Em doesn't. She finds that much easier. And she says some crazy things at times. And she'll often respond like when we have gift days or we want to give money away. And it usually starts with a phrase like this. I've been thinking. <laughs> Honestly, any time Em says to me, hey, I've just been thinking. I'm like, oh no. Please return Jesus quickly. Because this is going to be hard for me. Like genuinely, and I'll always talk her down. She'll say a figure and I'll be like, well, let's start somewhere. Let's just start somewhere, small steps. She's got the heart of God. Freely, Sam, we've received. Freely we get to give away. I'm going to finish with this. Let's see Jesus in all of this. When we're thinking about generosity, oh my goodness, look at this. John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed, a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus has done the ultimate act of generosity for us, friends. And I want you to look at him like a seed sent from heaven. He willfully came. And this seed was pinned upon a cross and it died there with all of our sin. All of our sin was poured into that seed. And then this seed, Jesus, fell into the ground, the tomb. And all of our dead life was buried with him. And then three days later, this seed germinated and it suddenly grew. A shoot suddenly flew out of this seed and he's known as the first shoots, the first fruits of many that would believe. 
that many that would live. And from his life, there's been an incredible harvest of souls. And I'm one of them. Thousands of years later, this seed has affected my life. This seed has brought this dead life to life. Jesus, sent as a seed, a sacrifice. Listen to this, John 12, 24. Listen carefully, this is the message. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and it reproduces itself many times over. That's the kingdom of God right there. Christians in this room, Jesus has reproduced himself many times over. Seed begets seed. Seed reproduces seed. We've been transformed back into our original design. The image, the nature, the character of God. That's who we are, friends. We've been born again. Why don't you stand with me?